the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Good morning and welcome in. Rob Black and your money. Talking all things financial. Later this morning I will be speaking with Dr. Jeff Rosen. ChiefEconomistBriefing.com. We can talk about anything that you want to talk about. Money, investing, and more. Obviously the easiest concepts to talk about, I think, in the world. Um, I enjoy talking money. I hope you enjoy hearing a little bit about money. A um, couple things. Um, Pavlov's bell is the opening bell today. What do I mean by that? Stock market did its thing yesterday where it sold off early. Oh no, it's going to be an ugly day. The Dow, the NASDAQ, the SP 500, down, down, down. But by the closing bell, everything had kind of fought back to almost neutral. A better than expected ISM services report for October was credit for turning the tide yesterday. So, hmm, people are buying the dip. Ding, 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 ding. Stocks go down. People are buying that dip. Again and again and again and again, it seems to be almost redundant. The SP 500's up, 9. Dow Jones Industrial up, 110. The NASDAQ up, 10. A lot of people are talking about Bill Malali leaving Ford to go to work over at Microsoft. And if that happens the next month, people think it's a $40 stock. It's currently right around 30 So that's some pretty good upside. Go try to get that at a bank you won't be able to. Um, well, actually, no, it's about 37 So it's moving up on news or rumor that a new CEO, McNary, Malali, Someone might jump ship from a big industrial company and come take over Microsoft and downsize the company. So analysts are upping the price targets based on that. Tesla came out with a quarter that was great. If I told you the metrics year over year, if I showed you the loss shrinking, if I showed you the demand, you'd be like, great. But with the stock up 400% for the year, it wasn't enough. So it's down 21 bucks today on 12%. As an investor, where does it have to go on downside? Way down. They're not earning money. They're basically worth, at this point in time, um, a quarter, a third, about a third of a GM. Yesterday, probably about a half of a GM. Uh, the PE, there is no P. There is no price. There is no earnings. Um, it's trading at next year's 92 times earnings. If it were to come down to a, a lower level, it starts becoming more interesting. I don't know where that level is that it gets me interested. We're all very different people. Um, we're all very, very different people. And I hope you appreciate that. And what I mean by that is, it's as an investor, it's impossible to give blanket advice on a show. I can give you a lot of the basics, like make sure you insure against disasters, because disasters happen to us all. I can't give you everything. Yesterday was an interesting look at the elections. Uh, Chris Christie basically gave the uh, Republicans a 
blueprint for how to win big elections next year. And clearly, he's got broad cross-party appeal if he decides to run for the White House in 2016. On the other hand, the Tea Party suffered a massive setback. What is considered a Tea Party ideal candidate in Virginia lost pretty aggressively to a Democrat. And Virginia is considered to be a state that leads politically. So if you thought next year that the Democrats would lose massively, they won. And that thought should be erased, according to history. That's as far as I go into politics, I promise you. Um, so anything you want to talk about, we can talk about. Um, we can talk car insurance. Um, what will car insurance look like in the years to come when you have a scenario of self-driving cars? Pay-as-you-drive car insurance is a rapidly growing program that gathers information about consumers' driving habits to help them determine which is the best for them. Most people don't know that there's something called pay-as-you-drive. 38% of male drivers think they're better than everyone else. 27% of female drivers think they're better than everyone else. Only 1% say they're below average. You know where I'm below average is in um, massive rainfalls. I hate driving tsunamis now. And when I say tsunami, I'm not making fun of what a real tsunami is. Trust me. 800-516-1220 to get your calls in the air. So Tesla, not so great. Burger King is re-rolling out a Big Mac buster called the Big King. Can't really say I'm all that excited about that. Fast food is aggressively fighting each other as the millennials are going after fresh food. Fast and fresh of the Chipotle's are getting that discretionary dollars over the fast food. To get your calls on the air, it's 800-516-1220. It's 800-516-1220. Starbucks is going to recruit 10,000 veterans to work for the company. Of course, this is a PR thing. Um, but it's also, you know, something that Howard Schultz, CEO, you know, he really truly wants to get a message out there on community. The world's biggest coffee chain said it would commit to hiring at least 10,000 veterans and spouses. It also said five new and existing Starbucks cafes are on military bases. And they'll share a portion of each sale with nonprofit organizations that help veterans re-enter the workforce. <clears throat> this is a nice story, but it's one of those stories that's kind of a, I can't do much with it. Now, I can do something with this. Charter CEO, Charter Cable TV CEO, he's surprised that 1.3 million of his customers want the Internet but not television. The CEO of cable TV company Charter Communications told Wall Street that he was surprised that 1.3 million of his 5.5 million customers don't want TV. They just want broadband Internet. They're actively not subscribing to TV in addition to the web. So that's interesting, right? Again, the millennials, they don't have to watch in real time. They don't mind Hulu. They don't mind Netflix. A lot of people are having difficulty processing the idea that now it's so easy to watch shows or movies online whenever you want that cable or broadcast TV just aren't something that everybody wants anymore. They're known as the cord cutters. The story continues to gain momentum. I like that. It's a good trend. I think cable companies have had us over a barrel for so many years, and it's nice to see people fighting back a little bit. And if you can cut your television bill from... $80 a month to $30 a month, I say do it. What's even more interesting is I'm starting to see people cut cable 
modems from their homes and wireless from their homes because they have already a phone and a tablet that has a wireless connection tied towards it. I like Verizon. I think they're doing everything right. Everything right. To get your calls on the air, it's 800-516-1220. It's 800-516-1220. I was reading an article about a ex-day trader. And he wrote down some things that I think are great takeaways. You can't predict the future. Everyone thinks they can, but they can't. Hope is not a strategy. Uncertainty is your best friend. Um, taking risks versus reducing risks. I'm not a day trader. I don't pretend to be one. Most of the day traders I see are terribly underfunded. People have like $25,000 or less, and they're trying to make millions. To get your calls on air, it's 800-516-1220. It's 800-516-1220. Got a big event coming up Thursday night at the airport hotel, formerly the Doubletree. Um, not formerly the Doubletree. Formerly the Radisson. It is a retirement portfolio income strategy. I'm going to go over some growth stocks and go over some income stocks. But setting up a portfolio that lasts till the day you die that gives you income is what it's all about. You can sign up for the event at robblack.com. It's robblack.com. Find four and a quarter percent after the apparel. If so, if so, we know. Visit Rob Black online at robblack.com. Now, back to Rob Black and your money on AM 1220 KDOW. Welcome back in. Rob Black and your money. I'm Rob Black. Doing a big event Thursday evening for charity. Charitable event, which means it's $5 to get in and or if you donate an old cell phone, you can come on in. And what I mean by that is I'm grabbing old cell phones. Um, then I'm going to have them wiped and donated to charity. Uh, if you give me your email address, I'll send you a form so you can take a charitable tax deduction. So if you want entry for free via the cell phone angle, drop me an email to rob at robblack.com. It's rob at robblack.com. If you want to come out to the event, um, it's Thursday evening at the airport hotel. It is from 6.30 to 9. It's all about building a portfolio in retirement tied towards income. It's how long will it last. You can come to the event. Um, I'd love to see you. All questions will be answered. CFP Chad Burton, who runs the show New Focus on Wealth from 1 to 2. He'll be there as well. Um, but, yeah, it's uh, tomorrow night. Tomorrow night, last one of the year. And uh, it's a good chance to see what a portfolio should look like tied towards income. Um if you want to donate a phone, drop me an email, rob at robblack.com. It's rob at robblack.com. If you want more information on the event, you can go to robblack.com. So, momentum, darlings, right now. You know, Tesla, down 12%. It's broken its momentum. Relatively disappointing guidance. It hasn't rattled the market to like a down 20 30%, 40%. Companies do give back gains on a pretty regular basis. Um, all stocks don't go up forever. That would be silly. So where do you look at value in a name like Tesla? Because I said all stocks pull back, right? Do you like a pullback that's 10%? Is that enough of a momentum name, or is that enough for a income name? 
like an Avalon Bay, let's say that's an income stock, is that enough of a pullback, 10%, that you can now get aggressive? Or do you consider that a conservative pullback? For momentum name, you know, a stock that's up 400%, maybe you'll see a 50% to 60% correction. So off 10%, not enough for me on Tesla. Now maybe 20 to 30% is when I start nibbling. Maybe 40% is when I start getting serious. Maybe 50% is when I, you know, throw down the big dollars. You have to have a strategy for pullbacks because they happen. And you can cut some risk knowing that pullbacks aren't bad. They're normal and healthy. Zillow is up 5% after its earnings report and relatively reassuring guidance. Zillow rhymes with pillow. It is a momentum darling tied towards Tesla in the momentum world. Time Warner and Ralph Lauren each trading about 2% higher after posting earnings results. Um, Polo Ralph Lauren. There's a brand that I like that I would endorse for the long-term patient investor. It's considered luxury. You see the dude with polo mallet and a horse on shirts, and you're like, ooh, it's a polo Ralph Lauren. You know it's not like the Sears cheap stuff. You know, it's not the JCPenney's cheap stuff. Like, there was a point in time where the uh, Izod Lacoste had the alligator, and then, like, Sears had come out with, like, a fox. <laughs> like, it was just horrible. So, status symbol. So, do I like Polo Ralph Lauren for the patient investor? Yeah. Do I like it for the momentum? No. If you take a look at the stock since 97, um, it's been a winner. It's had big pullbacks tied towards big global pullbacks. But right now you're hearing again and again and again and again and again and again that the world's doing a little bit better than the United States. And that's where a name like Polo Ralph Lauren could work well, is in that whole big picture area. Should you own the stock at these prices? No, you should own the stock for the next 10, 20, 30, 40 years because it's expensive. Everyone knows it's expensive. So, in the last segment, I talked a little bit about how I recently read some notes from a day trader. He traded $50 million a day. Um, He was a professional day trader. He worked for a big firm. He would hold a position for 20 minutes. He referred to it as the worst job in the world on a bad day. He referred to it as, I would make a trade, it would go against me, and I wanted my heart to stop so my blood would stop thumping so loud. Here's some lessons that he learned. He said, you can't predict the future. Everyone thinks they can, but can't. You can be married for 10 years, the next thing you know, you're divorced, and you would never have predicted it. You could be healthy all your life, drink vegetables, exercise, or do stress a year later, you could be dead from cancer. You can't predict the future. He stopped day trading for a reason. He's trying to teach you why you shouldn't day trade. He says hope is not a strategy. You get ruined by hope. If you plan a wedding outside and you don't have a backup plan in case it rains, then you probably misplanned your wedding unless you're getting married in a desert. Hoping is not a bad thing, but don't rely on it. He talked a little bit about the concept of taking risks versus reducing risks. Some people take too many risks, and they go bankrupt. That happened to him. And sometimes, people are too cautious and don't take enough risks. When I first started day trading, I was so afraid of risk that I had a small profit. I didn't trade. 
but then I'd take big losses and then wipe out all my profits. He says, for instance, I might be able to risk marrying someone if I know she's not a hardcore drug addict who regularly betrays the people she's close to. I can risk driving without a license if I always stay below the speed limit. I know it's stupid risk, but still. So he talks about understanding different types of risks. Um, another lesson that he, he throws out in this article is say no. In day trading, if something is not working out, even if your heart wants to work out, you have to say no and cut your losses. He said day trading takes your health. It sucks the soul out of your body. It blends it up. It explodes. It doesn't turn into a nice smoothie. It explodes. So you have to sleep enough. If you don't eat well, exercise, be around positive people, you're going to lose all your money and go bankrupt. Crazy means you're crazy. If you find yourself saying, this is crazy, that means you're crazy and you shouldn't be doing that kind of trading. That's a pretty good line. So if you find yourself caught up like, this is such an insane situation. You know, why, why do I have so much Facebook? What's, what happens if it goes wrong? It's never about the money, he says. He says he knows a thousand day traders and only two that won't go bankrupt. So what makes anyone think they have an edge? How many people listen to me? About zero. Everyone wants to day trade, but I know a thousand of them, two of them will succeed, 998 will fail and go bankrupt. He used to manage $50 million of day trading money. Just throwing it out there for you. If you think you're all that hot, you're probably not. Big event coming up tomorrow night, Thursday, in San Jose. You can sign up for the event at robblack.com. It's robblack.com. It's at the airport hotel. It's an income portfolio strategy building event. It's the last one of the year. Sign up at robblack.com. Black and your money on AM 1220 KDOW. Twitter IPO. New poll out. It's going to price tonight. The question is when it starts trading tomorrow, is it worth all the hype? Twitter executives have spent the last few weeks trying to tout the company on a roadshow. Nearly half of active investors say Twitter would not be a good investment, that sentiment is strong from higher income respondents. Some 56% of those with incomes of $75,000 a year have doubts about its investment prospects. It's all about the price. It's all about the money. At $40 a share, the valuations can be a lot higher than at $20 a share. Somewhere in between is where the value will be realized and or the overvalued will be realized. People want to see the company make a profit. They want to see, you know, frequent users growing. 
Uh, millennials seem to be wary of buying stocks in general. 1,500 adults aged 22 to 32, more than half, said they were not very or not at all confident the stock market is a place to invest. More than half Americans under age 35 do think Twitter will be a success in the next five years. So that's going to be interesting to watch, um, because the millennials are the people who are using Twitter, and they're the ones who don't really believe in investing. It's microblogging. Microblogging. Whole Foods reported. We'll talk about that as the morning goes on. The SP 500 is up five, the Dow's up 80, the NASDAQ down three. Joining me now, Tony Mendez, Bay Area That's Bay Area He's my lender. He's done a couple loans for me in the past few years. I bring that up because I trust him. I bring that up because I think you can trust him. He does a great job of packaging scenarios for you and showing you your options. Whether I definitely don't want a seven year one arm, I want a 30 year, he'll show you the 30, the 15, and the seven one. Because that's his job, to show you your options. Um, one of the things that I was surprised about the 2013 government shutdown was some of the stories that came along that said getting a, a mortgage is going to be tougher because the IRS is shut down. Getting a mortgage is going to be tougher because um, we verify wages as well, um, we being the mortgage industry. Mm-hmm. Um, that's a little bit – I think people don't – they're not prepared with how much paperwork there is yeah, and how much – how many different sources you have to go to. So I think it's incredibly rude for someone to shop a lender because once they shop, you start doing this process where you're calling 20 to 30 different people on their behalf. And and it's not just the amount of paperwork that you have to go through to actually get the appropriate quote. It's the amount of work that we have to do on the uh, ECOA, for example. They they make us put out these disclosures every time. If I give you a quote, I have to give you a disclosure. So, yeah, it's a lot more difficult. Uh, there was a Mortgage Bankers Association, they do this uh, rating on how difficult it is to get a mortgage. And an index is at 101, approximately. They uh, they estimated that back in 2006, 2007, at the peak of the real estate market back then, uh, it would have been at 800. So that's how much harder it's gotten, higher number being easier. And it's, only, it's, it's going down. So we're going to see a lot more difficult guidelines come up. We have lenders that are implementing this year already some of the qualified mortgage rules that are coming up in 2014 January, which we expect to be fully implemented by then and expected for lenders to follow these rules. Um, but, yeah, during the 2013 shutdown, it, was, it, was, it made it even more difficult. We had this thing called a 4506 uh, IRS transcript request. That got delayed. Um, and, but Fannie Mae, Freddie Mac, FHA, they said, okay, we'll, we'll, we'll ease the guidelines and say, okay, just give us tax returns. We'll be okay with that. Um, but it did become more difficult, and this is just the theme that we're going to see throughout 2014 and beyond. It's pretty, they're similar standards to what they were before 2000. The 2000s was a different era, Rob. It was a very strange era. We're let going put, back to the norm. Let me put that in perspective. 2000s, you can get $600,000 by basically initialing two pieces of paper. Liar loans. At that point in time, the lender would say, okay, I'm going to go start filling out numbers. You know how they did liar loans, right? No, tell me. Um, so you give them your type of work, and they would go to this website, and it would have this graph. It says if you've been in it this long, you get paid this much, and then it goes like that. And they pick the highest number, and they use that as your income. Okay. So it's a stated income loan. Was it ever so egregious? Like liar loans were good for like football players who they don't care. They just want to get the money. Um did you ever get things like people like me saying, yeah, Tony, I, I, I pitch for the, the San Francisco Giants. Did you ever get liars like that? 
Or was it more no, in, it, inflationary what, what on you, your end? What you typically saw, and this is where subprime really came into a um, – dug people into a hole – was they would literally make up jobs for people. Did I show you the email I got the other day? From It was a business card that, that people are still handing out. It says, we will make up a W-2 for you and verify the job. So it was essentially like that. They were, make, they were making up jobs. They were just doing what they call ver- uh, verbal verifications. So you could give the lender a phone number for your buddy. They would call that, and the guy go, oh, yeah, this guy does lawn care for me. He's been doing it for three years. Boom. There's your income. Yeah. Um, and those are liar loans. Those are stated income loans, and it was very, very, very skeptical. I mean, I mean it just it it just made so many more people qualify for home loans. It drove home prices up. It was the first thing that I saw when I came to California is that why would why would people get teaser not only that you could get teaser loans that start one percent negam loans and you could go up to hundred percent financing. It was crazy. Okay, so how do you prepare somebody? Because I freak out every time I do a loan. Um I whenever I buy a house I pay someone to sign for me. Like I, I, yeah, you know, I, I give it's, them credit because I don't like going through all that paperwork. Quite honestly, it's the toughest part of my job is to is to hide people from the the red tape that they have to go through. It's becoming harder and harder and harder. Now I know I want to say that I'm the best. I get loans done. You know, everybody's heard my commercial, but it's you know, it, I get loans I get, done. I get loans done. Uh, you know, and it's getting harder. It's actually it's I get loans done, but it's harder to keep people from seeing like the lender asking for multiple types of. You know, deposits now. If you have a deposit at an ATM, they want that check. Oh, I know. That happened to me. They want that check. Um, I deposit large amounts, if, and when I was doing a refi, they're like, why were you depositing $6,000? Um, and I had to go, like, I, I don't remember. And that came up with Dodd-Frank. There's a lot of um, anti-money uh, laundry, laundering rules that came up as well, and that, that is now forcing lenders to look at things like that. So the overregulation that we had as a result from the... Um, the real estate crash is really making it tough on people now. So be prepared. If you do a refi, if you buy a home, it's going to take some time. Know that the lender is working their butts off for you. I get calls from Tony on occasion where he's just frustrated that a loan's not getting funded yet because he needs one more thing. So it's going to be it's a freaky experience for me, for you, for everyone. That's Tony Mendez. You can find him online at BayAreaLoanSource.com. That's BayAreaLoanSource.com. I'm Rob Black, talking all things financial, money, investing, and more. It's always good to see you out at events. I'm doing an event Thursday evening. It's last one for the year. I'm doing a phone fundraiser for charity. Otherwise, it's $5 to get in. It's an event at the airport hotel in San Jose, uh, formerly the Radisson. Uh, You can sign up for the event at robblack.com. It's robblack.com. If you want the free entry code, um, each of them are unique. You have to drop me an email, rob at robblack.com, rob at robblack.com. Just tell me you're bringing a cell phone, and I will get you in. Um, it's always, always good to see um, people um, and get a second opinion on your portfolio. If you want to break a copy of your portfolio and leave it with me with your name, your, your email, you know, a little information about you, age, income, assets, liabilities, um, I'll give you a good one-sheeter on how you're doing, how far you're getting. Uh, drop me an email, rob at robblack.com. It's rob at robblack.com. And uh, I will, you donate an old cell phone, I will get you free entry. Um, 800-516-1220. It's 800-516-1220. Again, anything that you want to talk about, we can talk about. We can talk about Tesla. Uh, Tesla is posting smaller losses, but shares are starting to temper the enthusiasm. It is a wickedly cool car. And there's a long line of people who want one. They could only make about 5500 a quarter. That's ramping up. It's nice to see. 
but the valuation is a problem. So that's worth throwing out there again and again and again and again. The valuation does become a problem. Today, taking a look at the markets, uh, we've had a market that we've been buying the dips. The reason being is next year looks pretty good for worldwide markets. Uh, Europe is rebounding. China's doing okay. The United States, meh. I think the big question marks are some sort of compromise on budget issues, deficit issues, spending issues in the United States. That could be a problem in the first couple of months of the year. On top of that, I think there's the headwinds of how does Obamacare actually look. I think in the end, it might be a positive thing. But how we get there really feels like sausage making. I think more Americans should have insurance against worst-case scenarios. I wish there was a different way of doing it rather than mandating and hoping that young people sign up and don't take the penalty instead. I think it's a shame when someone who's 25 years old has liver problems and ends up bankrupt. That's not right. But at the same point in time, you've got to pay into the system on some level. S&P 500 is up 5, the Dow is up 80, the Nasdaq down 3, 10-year Treasury sits at 2.65. Twitter, IPO coming tomorrow. Will it be hashtag Twitter fail or will it be hashtag holy Twitter grail? We don't know. Um, people that buy or use Twitter are younger. Again, doing a big charity event tomorrow night, last event of the year in San Jose. You can sign up at robblack.com. It's robblack.com. It's building a portfolio, income portfolio to last in retirement. If you want to donate an old cell phone, drop me an email, rob at robblack.com, rob at robblack.com, and I will uh, get you signed up. Take a break here. We'll be right back. In your money on AM 1220 KBOW and iHeart Radio Station. Welcome back in. Rob Black and your money. I'm Rob Black talking all things financial, money, investing, and more. Got a new website up. It's going to turn into something I hope that you like. It's not quite there yet, but you can see the technology behind it. Go check it out, robblack.com. Give me some feedback. It's going to feature some of my videos, some of my audio. Hopefully it can be turned into a turnkey app. Maybe I'll make some strategic partners to get you a little bit more content in there as well. But uh, give me some feedback, rob at robblack.com. Check out the website, robblack.com. It's just it's a refresh, so to speak. My old one was five years old and getting a little long in the tooth. So Tesla reports their quarter last night. Stock's tumbling today. In large part because the company delivered 5,500 under Model S vehicles, which was below analyst expectations. 
the quote from the call that you have to see is that we are production constrained, not demand constrained. I want one. I'm not going to get one, but I want one. There's a lot of Americans who have no willpower and will get one. I have willpower. This is the key thing that Tesla bears. Be very cautious. The limitation with supply and production, not demand. He said he had to hold back car deliveries in the U.S. to deliver to Europe. We've had European customers that have been waiting for a long time, so we've had to constrain some deliveries in North America. I think we could sustain 20,000 cars a year in North America, and maybe more than that. But it doesn't make sense for us to try to amplify demand if we aren't able to deliver to that demand. So says Elon Musk. I'm not a cheerleader for the company. I'm a reflection of what's happening to the company. And I try to share that with you. Someone recently asked me about Bitcoin, and to me it just looks like gambling. I'd be very, very cautious with Bitcoin. Got an email from a listener. I'm able to buy stocks and mutual funds from my 401k. I'm in no way a financial professional, but I do apply average investor advice. A true blackhead since 2008. I understand to buy only what I understand. I'm 33 single, no kids. Income of 70000 I'm maxed out the 401k. I've got a balance of 73000 Emergency fund of 17000 So let's see. How's he doing? He's doing pretty good. I will also be entitled to a defined benefit pension plan that will pay me 60% of my highest year's salary. Low six figures right now, which is good. Right now, I'm 100% equities in my 401k. 80% U.S., 20% international. Buying stocks with pre-tax money is enticing. Even though there are fees involved, how much of my 401k balance should be allocated to buying my first five stocks? And he names some names like McDonald's, Merck, ExxonMobil, Coca-Cola, and Walmart. I would be very cautious. I'm not saying don't do it. I would say do one for the next six months. See how you feel about it after that. I'd prefer you continue to accumulate wealth because you've done a pretty good job. I know you're enticed to buy individual stocks. I would say no more than 5% in any one given name. So if your portfolio is worth 73000 go divide that by 5%, and you can see what I would say is appropriate. I'd prefer you be a little bit older before you buy individual stocks. I prefer Pfizer over, over Merck. I understand you have Merck on your list. So already I'm having kind of a, a dilemma with you. Um, ExxonMobil, I'm fine with. I prefer Chevron Texaco as an income play, but not as much growth play. So again, there's two stocks where we differ. I think Walmart's fine for the long-term patient investor, but I think you're going to be better in indexes for the next year. I don't know how the Obamacare is going to affect retail. I know that a lot of Americans are going to be paying for health care and not, paying, not having that extra money to go into Chotsky's that Walmart sells. Um, so the name that I like most on your list is McDonald's for an income play, but you're 33. I'd prefer you look at some of the growthier names that are or names that you feel comfortable with, like a Polo Ralph Lauren, maybe a Visa. Um, but again, I don't really push individual stocks on the average person. I think it can really get into your head psychologically, start second-guessing yourself. Um, but yeah, at least you're picking good, steady names that should be around the day you die, like an American Express. Um, I expect the banks, Goldman Sachs, Morgan Stanley, Bank of America to survive, because if they don't, <laughs> no one has money. No one will have a mortgage. No one will have a small business loan. 
I just I, that's where I kind of get that. I just don't believe that we could afford to put these guys out of business. So I throw that out there for you. To get your calls in the air, it's 800-516-1220. It's 800-516-1220. Anything you want to talk about, we can talk about. Take a look at the numbers on the market today. We've had a buy-on-the-dip mentality. I think that continues. I don't see any reason why we should push ahead to all-time highs every day for the rest of my life. But in the short term, the low cost of money, I think, makes it very attractive. Playground to play in. To me, it's like playing in a playground where... There's foam padding on the ground, so if you fall, you don't really get that hurt. Um, in the rest of the world, I see some growth. Not a lot, but some. And I think American companies are pretty good at taking advantage of that. SP 500 is up 3, the Dow's up 76, the NASDAQ's down 10. Recently, we've any sort of weakness has been met with some buying. Microsoft narrows their CEO shortlist. Mulally makes the cut. What I would hate about that is he'd leave Ford. Ford just had a great quarter. And stock's down since then because people think he's going to leave the company. I love Ford bonds. I'm not crazy about Ford stock, but I'm not against Ford stock. I think they make kick-butt trucks. And Americans love trucks. Um, If you've ever driven a Ford 350, it's pretty darn awesome. That's all I'm going to say. Big event coming up tomorrow night, San Jose Airport Hotel. You can sign up for the event at robblack.com. If you bring a cell phone, drop me an email, rob at robblack.com, and I'll get you in for free. But you have to drop me the email on that. It's rob at robblack.com. I'm doing a fundraiser collecting old phones. You can sign up for the event at the Airport Hotel tomorrow night. Income portfolio, building an income portfolio that'll last. Sign up at robblack.com. Call now, and installation is free. Call one 800 Welcome in. Rob Black and your money. I'm Rob Black talking all things financial money, investing, and more. Anything you want to talk about, we can talk about. Lots going on in the world of money, whether it be the Dow Jones Industrial Average hitting a new record high. I know you're saying, whoa, how did that happen? Sneakily. Jinkies. Um, it's nice to see. It's not something to get you know crazy about. Unless you own all your money in the Dow Jones Industrial Average, which I'm assuming most people don't, but heck, I've been wrong before. It's a day where Chevron's doing well. It's a day where Microsoft is pushing the Dow Jones Industrial Average higher. Most of the components are higher. These are great long-term core kind of names in theory. They may or may not be appropriate for everyone. Tesla is an aggressive name. They came out with just an okay result. They can't get enough batteries to build enough cars. They only built 5,500 cars this quarter and delivered 5,500 cars, and that's a little bit of a problem, and some people are upset by it. So it's a good problem to have. They're able to maintain a premium price on a car, You know, I want one of the cars. I'm not going to get one because I've got a little bit of discipline, but most Americans don't, and thus it's a good problem to have. Um, I don't know. I don't think there's, you know, we don't have to jump up and down. 
Twitter's IPO pricing tonight. It's ready to price. It's losing money. We all know it. It's a social network. Will its IPO be like the social network Facebook? Twitter hasn't proven anything yet. Twitter investors are so deluded and ridiculous. Pundits roar. They've already agreed to buy Twitter stock at $25 a share, a $15 billion valuation. So why are we so bashing Twitter when we saw what Facebook did? When we saw what Groupon did, after you get the initial wave of of silliness out, LinkedIn's one of those IPOs that kind of worked. As far as social media 2.0 companies, there's some pretty big differences between the Twitter IPO and Facebook IPO. Twitter's going public at a much earlier stage, so they're going to have some hyper-growth ahead of them that Facebook doesn't have. Twitter's still losing money and therefore poised for radical profit margin expansion as its business scales. Twitter is relatively a small number of shares, which means that investors who want them will have to fight for them. If you contrast that with Facebook, Facebook was so mature its revenue growth was already decelerating, so there wasn't a good story to sell. Their future growth is dependent on an unproven new product, mobile, that it hadn't rolled out yet, but they did successfully. Facebook already had a startling 50% operating profit margin, which left very little future upside. Facebook sold huge amounts of stock at the IPO. And they had a massive lockup release over the following year that made it all that more attractive. The other one that you would compare Facebook and Twitter to would be LinkedIn, which was a social network that went public a couple years ago. And stocks had a spectacular run. LinkedIn's financials at the IPO, you saw the losses. LinkedIn was investing heavily at the time of the IPO. They were trying to grow their revenue and not their profits. Their growth and cost structure has now made it highly profitable. One thing that all these social networks have in common is their cost structure. Unlike traditional media companies, Facebook, LinkedIn, Twitter, Google, and other social media, they don't have any content costs. So when they deliver advertisers' eyeballs, they don't have to deliver content to those eyeballs. We're all doing it for them. Very, very profitable. Are there risks? Yes. In Twitter, their user base in its most important market in the United States is small. If Twitter doesn't find a way to make its service go mainstream, its long-term revenue growth will be constrained. Twitter's user base is growing much more slowly than its revenue, and most of the growth is coming less monetizable international countries. Twitter grew its user base first, and now it's following up with revenue. The company has enough users, 230 million users. It'll likely be able to grow its revenue at a very rapid rate for a couple years now. But they're emerging markets. It's going to be tougher to monetize. Advertisers are excited about Twitter, but even the Twitter ad success stories reach a small audience. So it's not really clear how well their ads are going to scale and how valuable ads are. My dentist recently did an ad on Facebook inside the community that he works, and he loved it. Twitter users see ads, but the scale of the campaigns is laughably small when compared with, you know, medium like TV or Google or Facebook. So advertisers may experiment with Twitter, but it's not clear if they're going to get a big budget tied towards Twitter. So what's it worth? I think most of us who are reading the reports look at $26 to $28 as 
reasonable. The market's estimate for Facebook revenue in 2015 is about $13 billion. Market cap of $120 billion. Facebook trades at nine times revenue. So you'd be looking for the same kind of metrics on a Twitter. So $25 price means it's a $15 billion company. Somewhere between that $25 and $28 is reasonable growth if you want to like take a shot, $35 a share. Anything higher, and I think you're just being downright speculative. Now, again, I'm not advising you to buy Twitter because I don't know you. I want you to be very cautious. I want you to be very patient on a company like Twitter. It's not meant for instant gratification. You may get it. Comes public tomorrow morning. Prices tonight. We'll have more information tonight. To get your calls on the air, it's 800-516-1220. It's 800-516-1220. Anything that you want to talk about, we can talk about. Someone recently criticized me, which is always funny, because I don't care. But he goes, your show's better when people call. And my show's not meant to be the best all the time, 24-7, 365. It's not meant to be the best show on radio. I do a show about retirement. I do a show about getting you there. I, I do a show with what's out there in the markets. You know, if I'm going to do a show about, like, herd behavior, you're not rational. If you're overconfident, I'm not going to do the personal financial psychology angle. I'm not going to say, you know, you're going to fail because you got the gambler's fallacy that you think you're right. But keep in mind, investing's not that difficult. You want to be long-term. You want to be patient. You want to accumulate wealth. Later in life, you want to manage it. Burger King re-rolling out its Big Mac buster called the Big King. I, I don't even know where... I, I, I know where one Burger King is. And that's only because it's on a main road that I drive once every three months. Like, I, I'm not familiar with the culture of who eats at Burger King. I know you can get a lot of food for cheap. So people, families who are poor or lower income or lower middle income will get a cheap meal. I know you can get it fast, but people with disposable income really didn't care what they're eating. Now people with disposable income do care what they're eating. That's why Chipotle's doing so well. Figure it coming up tomorrow night in San Jose. Learn more details at robblack.com. It's robblack.com. AM 12. Online at robblack.com. Now, back to Rob Black and your money on AM 1220 KDOW. Doing a big event tomorrow night. Last event for the year, building a retirement portfolio that lasts. It's a good event. It's got a lot of new material in it. I'd love to see you come out. It's really geared for people who are heading towards retirement or in retirement. Some of the concepts will be good for you if you're younger as you're starting to grasp that it's not really all about 
pulling money out at a 4% rate. It's about replacing some of the money that's in there. It's about how to diversify it and not just count on a big dividend. I know a lot of people who bought Annalee Capital Mortgage because it had a big, fat dividend, and only to see so much principal get destroyed. So anyway, the big event is tomorrow night, um, San Jose, the San Jose Airport Hotel, formerly the Radisson. It's from 6.30 to 9. It's my last live event of the year. Um, I will do some meet and greets, but I'm done with seminars for the year. There's no doubt about it. They burned me out. Uh, they're fun to do. They're exciting, but they burn me out. Let's take a quick look at the market numbers. And coming up, don't forget, I've got the one and the only Dr. Jeff Rosen, economist, on the show. S&P 500's up 4, the Dow's up 90, the NASDAQ down 7. Joining me now, Tony Mendez with BayAreaLoanSource.com. That's BayAreaLoanSource.com. He's a mortgage lender. He's my mortgage lender. I've done a couple refis with him. I've done a couple new purchases with him. So I know that it's a process, and it's good to have someone that you trust. He's someone that I trust, therefore... You can trust. Hi, Rob. Tony Mendez, you're here to talk today. Home improvement. Um, I bought a house that needed some work. Um, I fortunately had cash to fund it. Um, I don't think the work was worth it, but some people like to improve their homes. I myself would go with a gold toilet because sitting on a gold toilet is all that and more. But new kitchen to me, eh. person that buys my house is going to say, I don't like that tile. Yeah. So I'm, I'm cautious about it, my and, home improvements. It, but you might be wrong that there is a percentage, uh, 92%, as a matter of fact, saying that um, kitchens are get the best return on your investment. Kitchen remodels. See, I disagree with right that. Right up there with siting. Siting is a little bit higher, 92.8%. Yeah. But small kitchen remodels, they're, they're specific at that small remodels always will give you a better return than big remodels because big remodels usually mean that you're putting more of your personal taste into it right when remodels should be the basics bathrooms you know new tiles on the floor nothing fancy no fancy gold toilets okay let's stay with kitchen for a second kitchen so like a new gas stove is better than an electric stove that's right. an improvement that i can back upgrades yes right new refrigerator that saves energy is something that people instantly say that's a nice looking refrigerator right whereas tile and cabinets in particular sometimes they change you know, the taste today is not the same taste in 10 years. So you tend not to get the best bang for your buck. Bathroom, I hear, is the best bang for your buck. If you do, like, a spa shower, people love spa showers. Um, so spend a little money there versus uh Well, there's two things that cabinets. that people look at. Tell me. There's uh, what they call your curb appeal. Okay. And that's why siding is the, one of the number one spots as far as the kind of improvements that you do. Okay. Uh, and then the kitchen. That's because of the family-oriented part of a uh, single-family residence, and that would be the people who cook in the house. We'll go right to the kitchen because that's the main activity, and you're going to get more sight inside the, uh, the property. Okay. So those two reasons um, is why those are on the top. Anything else, uh, like replacing roofs and windows, they get a lot less return, uh, lower than 80% per dollar. So you have to be really careful about what you do, um, and there's two reasons why people would do a remodel on their house. One, for necessity, and two, to resell their house and probably get some more money on their return. Um, if I was to resell a house, if I was for the purpose of reselling a house, I would do very little improvements that were not a necessity. Okay. Wouldn't you agree? I mean, it's, there's, when you sell your house, for example, your house, I've been to your house, you don't need to do much to it. Right. Paint. Maybe a new rug in one of the rooms. 
but you don't have to do any kind of kitchen remodel or any bathroom remodel. Don't leave that up to the new buyer, especially in this kind of market. We're in a seller's market right now. Homes that are in distress are getting top dollar. And I think, it's, I think that if you're competing against 20, 30 other homes, yeah, maybe you want to spruce it up and maybe do some special things, but not in this type of market when we're limited in the inventory. You know what I would do if I wanted to improve my home value? I would build an addition. I want to do a teardown. I try to get some square footage on a second level. Uh, maybe tear down half of my house and build up. I, I'd be really questionable about that because I know. that's even a more expensive type of upgrade, and you're putting more personal taste into the design. Well, and you may be eliminating more, more unless you're, you know exactly what these people want. Most homes in the Bay Area sell on one thing, square footage. The no, comparable, I would disagree. Really? I would say location. Well, locate, I think we're saying the same term. In your location, you're going to compare square footage to my house to the house next to me. That's how companies like Zillow work. Right. They see you have a 1,600-square-foot house. They see what the 2,000-square-foot house sold for, and then they factor in 25% less house. Mm-hmm. Um, so square footage is a large part of the comparables that come in to set the price of your home. So to me, if you can add square footage at the right rate, so figure out what your homes are going for in your neighborhood – and then take that extra square footage you're going to add and multiply it. And if you can get it in that ballpark, you yeah, as long as you don't go too big, because you never, you don't want to be the biggest house on your street. I agree. Because you're going to fall harder than anybody else. Your low, the smaller homes will dictate the price in your neighborhood as opposed to the higher, the bigger homes. Anything else that we need to know about this concept of improving your home? You know, it's. It, I think it's all about personal taste. I think where. People make the biggest mistake is they get the money from the wrong place. They okay. they they get too many home equity lines of credit and they open it for too much and they never pay it back. Yep. Um, they think that uh, improving twenty five thirty thousand dollar kitchen uh, is like oh we need it but we'll just take it out of the house. They still got to make payments on it. Yeah, I don't look at home equity line of credit as anything other than your piggy bank that you're taking from. Um, I would only take a home equity line of credit if you can, if you know that you can pay it back in a certain period of time. That's Tony Mendez. You can find him at BayAreaLoanSource.com. That's BayAreaLoanSource.com. One of the other stories out there that I saw today that was kind of interesting tied towards real estate, and it's, it's got a headline that's kind of risky to say out loud. Wealthy Chinese gobbling up Silicon Valley homes. Kendall Leon, he's named the top realtor in the world. Maybe not the world, but in the Bay Area. No, in the, in the nation. He recently bought a Mercedes bus to shuttle around Chinese customers around the valley. Now, the valley has always been known for CEOs and CFOs and some, you know, people who are big winners in the stock market tied towards stock options. It's not really tend to thought of as like a lot of outsiders come here to live, but apparently that's starting to change ever so slightly. Um what was interesting to note inside the story was there was a little bit of an angle that said Wealthy Chinese are coming to America because we've got great schools in the Bay Area. We've got great weather. We don't have a lot of smog in the Bay Area. Desirability about real estate is very real and very, very practical to think about. Think of it coming up tomorrow night. It's a phone fundraiser. Bring an old cell phone. Drop me an email, robertrobblack.com, and I'll get you the entry code for free for tomorrow night. Thursday, November 7th, 630 to 9, San Jose, California, the San Jose Airport Hotel, formerly the Radisson. I mean, email robertrobblack.com. Otherwise, it's $5. Um, but, yeah, it's a good event. CFP Chad Burton from New Focus Financial. 
will be running it from 1 to 2. He does a radio show on this station, KDOW. But sign up for the event at robblack.com. It's robblack.com. Tomorrow night, last one of the year. AM 12. You're listening to Rob Black and Your Money on AM 1220 KDOW. Joining me now, Dr. Jeff Rosen, Chief Economist Briefing.com, a trusted resource of mine that I start my day with. How are you, Mr. Rosen? Good. How about yourself? I guess I should call you Dr. Rosen. Um, <laughs> doing well. How was Job of the Hut trick-or-treating last week? Yeah, um, it was raining, but okay. uh, we did all right. Good. 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 Booty of uh, candy? Uh, if it was me, I would probably have gone out longer, but my kids got tired pretty quickly when they thought they had enough, so uh, they decided that we should go hack, so I followed them. What does that say about our economy, that we send our children out to beg for candy? <laughs> I don't think it says anything. <laughs> okay, fair enough. Um, how about this one? I saw a Challenger Gray headline this morning. Planned layoffs jumped in October on drug and financial firm cutbacks. But it was a smaller number than the previous year. So it's a little shocking that it was 45,000 jobs, but not as bad as the yearly trends have been. Did you see that headline? Yeah, the Challenger job cuts number is not a very useful number, in my opinion. I mean, basically what you're doing is you're asking companies what they think they're going to do. You know, are they going to plan on laying off people? Are they planning on hiring people? And there's a lead time of, you know, sometimes 12 months. And you get, you know, just a bunch of companies saying, well, this is what we think. But if conditions change, they change that, you know, they're cutting, you know, up or down. So, you know, you may have a lot of people suggesting that they're going to cut, but in the end up not cutting, or they may end up not saying that they're cutting, and then six months, 12 months down the line, you know, they're laying off a ton of workers. So I just don't get any value uh, in terms of predictive power or just any explanation power of uh, how the job market's going to do based on the the challenger job number. The thing that I get out of it, the value, is that the big cuts appear to be coming in pharmaceutical and financial services. And as an investor, job cuts equals Wall Street loves you. It's counterintuitive, but saving money equals higher share value. Um, not always, but it, it, it's been pretty good to me, if you know what I'm saying. Yeah, I mean, the financial industry, you're getting that because you're having a slowdown in refinancing and you're having a slowdown in... Um, in purchasing of homes, so there's less need for uh, mortgage um, filers and the whatnot, and people that support that mortgage industry. So that, that's where that's coming from, and that's normal. I, I don't know much about the uh, the pharmaceutical uh, layoffs or why that's occurring, and I don't even know if it will actually occur. You know, like I said, it's it's a number that they say that they're planning on doing, but you know, if things happen in the future that you know changes that plan, then that number doesn't mean much. What are you looking at today? Um, is the Friday jobs report that you're starting to focus on? Uh, I mean, that, that's probably the, the biggest number of the month. Um, okay. you know, we're, we're getting it a week later than we normally expected to get it because of the uh, government shutdown. We're going to get an idea how severe the government shutdown was on the unemployment rate. It won't have much of an effect, if, if any at all, on the uh, the payroll number. 
So and that, that's pretty big. Um, I'd like to know what GDP was in, in Q3. We'll get that, um, uh, I think, tomorrow. And we'll get an understanding of how the economy moved then. Uh, I'm predicting better than, than uh, consensus numbers, but you know we're still not at the three percent growth uh, that we should be, you know, under, under normal circumstances. Let alone the you know three and a half percent that you would like to be following a recession. So we'll see how that goes. Any um, angle on the Fed speak that came out this week of? potentially tapering being put off much, much, much longer than expected deep into 2014? Um, no, I mean, you're getting a bunch of people talking about, you know, the Fed needs to change its policy so that it can improve um, the unemployment aspect by essentially trying to be credible that they're going to be uncredible on uh, or incredible on, um, on uh, inflation expectations, you know, it's just, get inflation to go up so that you drive the real rates down so that uh, you try to improve, uh, you know, lending and spending at at, uh, the nearer point in the curve. Uh, This is stuff that they've been talking about for, you know, over probably two years now. And, you know, it's it's not a incorrect policy. It's not a new policy, though. So I I don't know how it's going to change. On the tapering mechanism, we didn't think that it was going to taper, you know, much this year, if at all. Uh, just because the the numbers weren't showing it. I mean, the economy is growing slower than you need to be to, to really drive the unemployment rate down. You have disinflation where the inflation rate is growing well below what the target rate should be. And if you're trying to have, you know, a Fed targeting, you know, 2% inflation, you need to ease. And if you're trying to target more than 2% inflation, which is what, um, you know, the Fed would need to do if they're trying to drive uh real interest rates down, um, you know, that would be, you know, you're, you're well off that target. So I, I didn't see how that you could taper based on those numbers. I'm speaking with Dr. Jeff Rosen, Chief Economist, Briefing.com. I tend to look at things as trends, like how many people are cutting cable. I tend to look at things as ideas. Low cost of money is good for the economy. Job cuts in pharmaceuticals may mean buy pharmaceuticals. You recently piece, penned a piece, long-term interest rates show no signs of changing trends. It's really difficult for me to get my head around your brain. Um, Fed fund futures, looking into the, what that means, can you explain why we should care about Fed fund futures and, and how it could be applicable to us? Sure. I mean, Fed fund futures are just um, the way the market can predict uh, what the Fed funds rate is. They're basically trading a futures contract on what they expect, in, um, you know, extremely short-term interest rates are going to be. So, you know, uh, next day interest rates. So what you're seeing is that back in May, and uh, you started seeing an increase in the Fed funds futures rate, meaning that the the buyers of these contracts were expecting that the Fed funds rate was going to increase sooner rather than later. And what that did was it drove up long-term interest rates. And the way it works is that long-term interest rates are, you know, essentially, at least theoretically, just a outcome of short-term rates over, you know, some duration plus an expected inflation rate. So if you push up the short-term interest rates over a longer period of time, you're going to increase long-term rates. And likewise, if you push up uh, expected inflation, you'll see an increase in long-term rates. And what you saw in September following, um, you know, 
meetings around at that time, you, you had a big drop in the Fed funds futures because all of a sudden, you know, tapering was off the table and uh, people then all of a sudden believe that, you know, they're not going to boost interest rates, you know, anytime soon. And you saw a drop in the 10-year from about 3% to 2.5%. Looking at the last meeting, the October meeting, um, you didn't see any move in the Fed fund futures. You didn't see any move in long-term inflation expectations. So if you go based on this, the idea, the theory that long-term rates are expected uh, inflation plus expected short-term rates, and you had no change in either one, you know, you don't get much of a change in the long year, in the ten-year bond, which is what we were saying. What else are you working on, Dr. Jeff Rosen, that we should be paying attention to? Um, right now, I'm looking at uh, there was a study that came out from the New York Fed this morning or last night talking about uh, consumer demand for lending, and uh, you know, is it available to consumers that need it? And then couple that with the uh, the housing numbers that we got yesterday on uh, you know basically what the household uh, home ownership rate is and what vacancy rates are, and trying to piece that together to see if there is some sort of um, underlying demand that could push the housing market uh, forward and, you know, and, and make it gain strength because right now it's uh, flattening again. We're getting you know, weak signals from, uh, from the pending home sales indices. We're getting weak signals from affordability conditions. So I don't see where it's going to, uh, to boost um, home ownership and, and, and whatnot if we're not seeing you know, some pieces coming, at, uh, especially from the demand side, if, if people are getting more lending, if, if it's going to allow them to uh, purchase a home. Is there a proper level of home ownership that you would feel comfortable with in the United States, like 66% of 68, 70%? When does it become frothy? When does it become lean? I don't have a number. I mean, you can go through okay. historical trends. Um, you know, I, I've done this in the past, and I don't have the, the results in front of me showing what uh, – Historically, what age groups you know had owned homes in the past, and what what the age groups that own homes today, and you saw you know a bigger increase in home ownership among young you know during the bubble years, and you know that's going to go away quickly. And you know now we're running into a problem where we're not even seeing home uh, household formation. You know people are not coupling up and moving into their own homes; they're staying with their parents longer, which is reducing the need for for you know homes. It's reducing the need for rental homes, and, and it's driving the, uh, the stagnation in uh, you know, the housing market right now. Thanks very much. It's Dr. Jeff Rosen, Chief Economist Briefing.com, independent live market analysis, U.S. and international markets. Very smart guy. I do something very different. I don't say, think that I'm smart. I think I outwork people. Um, but he's a very smart guy in the economy, and knowing a good economist is... Very, very useful, to say the least, uh, so that you can bounce ideas off. Like, what is a good number of penetration of home ownership in the United States? Because we got frothy. Too many people owned homes in the 2000s. We were underserved in the late 90s, and that created a situation where we started giving loans to people to give them in homes, and they didn't need to be in homes. We don't have to have 100% home ownership in the United States. Anyhow... Come meet me Thursday night, tomorrow night, in San Jose at the Airport Hotel. It's an event tied towards setting up an income portfolio for retirement that lasts, that doesn't run out of money. 
proper way of doing it. You can sign up for the event at robblack.com. Remember, it's a charitable phone fundraiser. If you donate an old cell phone, drop me an email, rob at robblack.com, and I'll set you up for free entry. Otherwise, it's you've got to sign up online at robblack.com. We'll take a break here. Be right back. AM study finds that dogs communicate with other dogs by how they wag their tail. Makes me think that I should start shaking my high knee when I meet someone, right? Tail wagging can convey more meaning amongst dogs than previously thought. Dogs have different emotional responses to their peers depending on the direction of the tail wag. Seen a fellow dog swing its tail to the right, keeps canines relaxed, while a wag to the left seems to induce stress. Pets that watched left side tail wagging behaved more anxiously, and their heart rate sped up. I know you're saying, like, we've got a lot of money in our society so that we can study this kind of stuff, right? But maybe that's some sort of instinct thing that you and I should be paying attention to. Like, you could tell if someone's lying if they look up to the right. You can tell if someone's thinking if they look up to the left of their eyes. There's some tells. Um, how can I turn that into a story on Wall Street? I can't. I wish I could, but I can't. Dow hits an all-time high today. That's pretty sweet. Um, it's nice to see. Twitter goes public tomorrow. At the top of the hour, I did a whole shtick on why it could work. I'm not telling you to buy it. I'm telling you why it could work. In lieu lieu of the Facebook IPO that didn't work quite as well as it could have. Facebook had a lot of shares. Twitter has very few shares. Facebook had premium growth already built into the company. And it was actually starting to decelerate. Twitter still has hyper growth ahead of itself. They're losing money. They don't have content that they have to put on their website. You do it for them. They don't pay for content. So when they scale, they scale very, very, very fast. And they don't need another hit. They just need uh, people like CBS and ABC and AMC to make hits for them. Hashtag zombie show. S&P 500 up 5. The Dow Jones Industrial Average up 95. The NASDAQ down 7. My problem with Twitter is that I get kind of lost in it. And I know that's kind of a weird damnation, is that I do follow economists, I do follow news sites, and it helps me enormously. But there will be days where I don't look at it, and what did I miss? I don't feel like it's got that must-have kind of feel to it. To get your calls in the air, it's 800-516-1220. It's 800-516-1220. Call the show if you want. Um, There was a call earlier that 
he had, I had to interview Dr. Jeff Rose, and so I wasn't able to take him. But I'm surprised at how many people go for horrible stock ideas. And I know that's probably why I don't get a lot of calls, because here I am saying, don't go for a horrible idea. If the stock is a compelling story to you, it's probably a compelling story to a lot of people. I prefer, instead of going for a penny stock, to go for a company that's a great business. To get your calls in the air, it's 800-516-1220. It's 800-516-1220 to get your calls in the air. Harry from Castor Valley, how are you? Oh, hi there, Rob. I, um, my company just offered us uh, stock options uh, just for a few a few more days, uh, and it's the ticker symbol is the AI.PA, Paul Apple. And it's an okay. air gas company. It's, um, it's actually the biggest air gas company in the world. Uh, and I have a couple hundred shares now over the years. I've bought in several. But are you being acquired by the comp? Are you being acquired by the company? What, what's the relationship that your company is oh, offering you shares? Uh, oh, it's just uh, it's employee share by a uh, by buying share program. Okay. It's just um, are you getting a discount? Yeah, they're giving us a fifteen percent discount. Okay. But if the market the market's so high right now. It's like I, I believe in the company though. I mean they've they've been just like a stellar company over the years. They've always done good to the, for their shareholders. Mm-hmm. And I've been with them 37 years, so it's like um, I believe in the company. It's just a matter of the, you get a 15% discount, and then I'm not sure quite about the tax, you know, because it's a it's a French company, and it, but we they take it out of our um, question, question for our, you, question our, for you, question yeah. for you. Yeah. What else do you own? I own um, well, I got uh, 300,000 in a 401k. Okay, diversify. Pardon? Is it diversified? diversified. Yeah, okay. yeah, yeah. I'm very well set up. I mean, I it's not it's not where it'll be a risk for me at all. It's just a matter of does it make good sense just because it's a 15 percent discount? I think it typically does, and it's a generic statement. But I look at it as income. I don't look at it as an investment. You already yeah. are too reliant on the company in in numerous ways. It's a basic materials play. It's a well-run yeah. company. It's got a nice price to sales. Um, They've been hit or miss with earnings from time to time, which is a little yeah. bit of a problem. Return on equity is good. Um, anything over 12% is nice, and it's at 16%. So yeah. I would I would look at it as income. When you get it, cash it out, diversify that into something else. 15% discount is a 15% discount. Yeah. Right? Certainly, if you feel uncomfortable, I wouldn't predict the economy. I would I would worry about you having too much exposure to one name. More yeah, so no, than I don't have that. Economy. I I don't have that. I have plenty of other, you know, defined benefit plan and other. Um, so okay. I, you know, I might have five percent, you know, two percent exposure in, in in the company as far as. Uh, Perfect. As far as yeah. I think any time a company gives you a discount, keep in mind it's because they don't want to pay you; they want to retain you. But I look at it as income and not an investment decision. Thanks for the call. Very very different than your four hundred one k. We'll take a break here. We'll come back in 22 hours. Don't forget, i got a big event tomorrow night in San Jose at the Airport Hotel. You can sign up at robblack.com. Donate a phone. Drop me an email, rob at robblack.com. It's robblack.com for the event and for the email. 
three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.